thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. The last time we were in Acts 13, we looked at the first few verses of how the church came together in the leadership as they were ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, notice in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate me to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the work that which they were called to was what we commonly refer to as missions. Now, it's unfortunate that we, we have to use the word missions to actually describe what is normal and common for every believer. So we've taken missions and we've changed it just a little bit to remind ourselves that we are on mission. So we focused on the mission, not necessarily missions. Now, I'm not opposed to the word, and we certainly use it here in our church to represent those that have stepped out in faith, world missions, local missions. But it's unfortunate that with that word, we think that some people are missionaries, and most of us are not missionaries. So what that does is it sort of develops in us a complacency and our lethargy. And we think of ourselves as just, you know, we're churchgoers and, and we're not missionaries because we're not on the field and we're, we haven't left everything and we haven't sold everything. And it's just the wrong perspective. The wrong perspective to think that there are some missionaries and we're not. We're all on mission with Jesus. That, that's all of our responsibility, no matter where we are. Remember the book of Acts opens with the glorious scene of Jesus speaking to his disciples and telling them this specific instruction, wait in Jerusalem. Before they were to go, when we learn in Matthew 28, to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Lord. Before they were to go in Jerusalem, they were to wait. And that is often a word from God where he'll give us the word to go, but then he'll also tell us to wait. Don't be confused by that. Just follow the last word that God gave you. If he's given you go with no other word, then go. But if he's given you go and wait, then wait. And it's always wise for us to follow the last word that God gave us. So here's the word from Jesus to his disciples. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's the heart of God. The heart of God is getting the gospel to people. The good news that your sins can be forgiven. That is his strategic plan for the world. His strategic plan for the world is to spread the gospel through his people. And first the gospel went to Jerusalem and transformed thousands of lives. And it seems as if the church in Jerusalem had become comfortable because we don't read a lot of them sending out until there was persecution that was allowed. There was oppression coming on the early church and then the early church scattered. Then they left. But we don't read of any immediate obedience of the church in Jerusalem being faithful in Jerusalem, going to Judea and Samaria until there, until there was persecution. Then when there was persecution, there was action. Now, we may not experience persecution as we understand that word today, but you could see it this way. You, you could look at your own life and go, well, I get the mission, I get the desire, I see my role as a follower of Jesus, I get it, I'm on mission, and you just stay there. You just stay there. You, don't, you just enjoy the Lord. You just enjoy fellowship. You enjoy knowing him until not persecution, something that you and I face far more than persecution at this stage in our life. It's not until persecution, but usually it's until some trial. Then you move. Then you take off. Then you cry out to the Lord. Then you humble yourself. When a trial comes, well, that's what's happening with the early church. Their trial was persecution. And it moved them. Well, I know some people listening to me right now, though, that you've been through trial after trial and you're the same lazy, lethargic person that you were before the trial. And that's a shame. That's not God's will for your life. That's not God's will for, your, for, for the purpose and plan of why you're on the earth. God wants to stir you and use you here, there, and some around the world. Now, we move into chapter 12 of the book of Acts. And 
the gospel gets into Antioch, the area north, into Lebanon, into Syria. And the church here in chapter 13 is the church in Antioch. And the church in Antioch will be the mission, the very first church known as a missionary church where they're sending people out. And that's where we picked up in the beginning of our study last time. The leadership is seeking the Lord. The leadership's come together. They're speaking. They're listening. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, it's time. I want you to separate your best. Barnabas and Saul. I I want them to go. I have a work called for them. And in verse 3, it says they fasted and prayed. They laid hands on them. And what's the next two words? They sent So you could say Antioch was a sending church. We weren't always a sending church, you know, here in Aurora. Uh, We weren't always a sending church. It's not that we were opposed to sending, not at all. Uh, The fellowship family that we're a part of, known as Calvary Chapel, is known as a church planting, missionary sending movement. And that was deeply ingrained in my heart. Except that when I moved here from California, uh, there was so much going on uh, in my mind and in my life and my job that it was just enough for me as a pastor to pastor the flock that was in front of me. And my hands were full. At least I thought my hands were full. And, and I was just really wanting, I was fulfilling something else we were taught to do uh, and really emphasizing, which has never really changed, and that is to make the people that I have the access to, that I get to serve, the best loved, best cared for people in all of the city. Whether there's three in front of me or 3,000, it doesn't matter. Um, it's God's heart for us to be well-fed, well-taken-care-of sheep, and that well-fed, well-taken-care-of sheep, we reproduce ourselves, we serve one another, we take care of one another, we call one another, we visit the hospital. I mean, we're, we're the body of Christ. But I began to get involved with another pastor, and the vision of his church was when disciples sinned. And I thought that was a great vision. I thought it's summarized in three words. How more simple can you get? Uh, that was wonderful, except that it was his vision. And, and I thought it was great. And I remember sitting in a conference while he's sharing story after story after story after story of all the exploits that had come through the ministry that he, he was overseeing. This guy was going over here. We went into the prisons over there. This guy happened over here. We ran out of gas over there. I mean, on and on and on. I remember sitting next to a brother and leaning over and saying, man, he's got a lot of stories. I don't have any stories. I did have stories, but compared to him... I didn't have any stories. And, and the brother turned real quick. You know, it was one of those conversations you have during services. I see you when I'm teaching, having a little whispering. I, I know. So it was one of those things. He turns to me and he says something profound. He says, Ed, he has stories because he has stories. And it hit me. I need to go get me some stories. I, I want more than what God had, I mean, it, it, it's like building, 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 and then uh, I was in this place, and, and I came home from that conference, and we, the Lord really impressed upon my heart. It wasn't his vision, it was my vision. I want to see the emphasis of the ministry to align. I think our vision before was aligned, but God changed things that year and, and, and moved this church into much more of a sending church where we've seen many, many, many wonderful men and women uh, come and be a part of the fellowship here only to leave uh, and do great things for the Lord. And we get to hear their stories. We get to hear what God's doing in our life. We get to share in it. Some of it we get to share in it. Some of it, unfortunately, we don't. But the kingdom gets to share in it. And the Lord is doing a work. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. And we need to keep sending. We need to do what the early church was doing. Send, send, send. It says in verse 4, so being sent out... Now, in verse 3, it says they sent them away. But in verse 4, it says they were sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. They went down to the city of Seleucia, and from there they, called, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. This is the heart of God, that we are so sensitive to the Spirit that we hear Him, that we obey Him, and especially when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ going out, going out, being on mission with Jesus. We've already learned that God the Father's mission's heart. God the Son has a mission's heart. God the Holy Spirit has a mission's heart. And the Spirit is always moving. 
He, he doesn't stop desiring. The, the, the mission heart of God is seen right there in the Garden of Eden when it would have been just for God to look at Adam and Eve and say, get what you deserve. Get out of here. Never to be in fellowship again. But that's not what God demonstrated right in the beginning. Before we ever understand anything about Messiah. Before we ever understand any prophecies unfolding that God would send a Savior in the world. Before we understand even a full concept or at least the fullest concept we have of God um, revealing himself as a trinity. God the Father, Son. Before we have any of that theology. Before we understand anything of what God is doing in the world. We understand this. God's heart is for the lost. And it started right in the Garden of Eden. He went after them. In their lostness, in their brokenness, in their a bad attitude, in their bad decision, when they thought they could hide themselves. Here, he, you know, how far does sin take a person? Sin takes a person from being in relationship to trying to hide from God. How far do you need to go before you think you can hide from God? Or that any one of us here in this room is hiding anything from God? But that's what sin does. And the mission's heart of God was right there in the garden. And page after page after page unfolds the mercy and grace of God to go after the lost in a glorious way. Aren't you glad God goes after the lost? Amen? Amen? Amen. Because he went after you. And that's why you're saved. That's why I'm saved. And that's why in the fellowship family you're a part of here at Calvary, we have aggressively over the years gone after the lost. And that's not going to change. And literally investing millions of dollars of God's dollars and going after the lost. Literally over the years here. Where God has allowed us to be a part of things that even when you guys go to bed tonight, we're going after the lost. <laughs> I just that trips me out. Like when you and I are sleeping, God's not sleeping. And the radio's on and the internet's on. And some of you work overnight shifts and you're on. You wish you weren't. But you are because God's giving you that job because he wants you to work overnights for that person who's going to be right next there with you. So why? You could reach the lost. That's the heart of God. And they're sent out. The Holy Spirit sends them out in verse 4 and yet in verse 3 they participate. We're, the, the mission heart of God we get to participate in. And so we get to lay hands on and send people out but really the Holy Spirit's sending people out. And that's the answer when somebody comes to me and says they have a heart to go out, we're going to pray. It's like, I hope it's from the Lord. I mean, that obviously going out and planning a church or going to another country and selling all your goods, is that sounds like the Lord to me. Now, the confirmations of those things, we're going to wait for the Lord. Sometimes he's going to close a door and open a door. I, I was recently flipping through um, the website at Calvary in Tucson um, because in my mind, you know, I've shared this before, but my memory is shot. So I thought I taught there three times, uh, but I could only remember two. So I was going through and looking through all their new website and looking through, and, and I was right. Um, although I was fighting with myself. I thought I did, and I didn't, but I was right. Either way, I would have been right. <laughs> now you think about it. Uh, and, and there was three times. And the first time was in 2012. And the first two times I taught at the conference there, the Southwest Pastors Conference, I was a last minute like two days before, uh, hey, we had somebody calling sick and you're going to be here. Do you think you can teach? And I said, of course. And that first time, I had forgotten about the message. It was very encouraging. It was the year before my son passed away. And so I think there was a noticeable difference uh, in my demeanor, a noticeable difference in, my, um, in, in how I delivered and, and where I was back then. And the, the message was Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia. And the church in Philadelphia is that church that had open doors and closed doors. And that's, there's a lot to emphasize in that, but those are the two things that the Lord gave me for that conference, open doors and closed doors. And, and, I, and, and part of the message was sharing how I got to Aurora. And, and without going through the whole thing again, um, I'm, I'm in Aurora because of a closed door, because of a, a closed door that was pretty much um, slammed in my face, if you've ever had one. And I use the illustration, it's not funny, so don't anybody laugh, it's not funny. But when we first built the building downstairs and put all the glass there, people would walk into the glass all the time. I said, don't laugh. And that week before, actually, there was a sister that actually cut her nose open 
uh, walking into the glass. And that's why we put plants down there. You may not notice it, but we put plants there. We have words on there and there because we put the glass there to make the building feel bigger, not to you know, play jokes on people or to hurt people. And, and so in, in light of that, closed doors can be painful and embarrassing. And one of the things the Lord sent me back after that closed door in, uh, in early 1999 is he sent me back to my home church to submit to my pastor so that every day I was on the property, which was pretty much three or four times a week, um, I was serving there and working full time in the world. And almost every day on the property, God wanted me to answer this question. And the question was this, hey, Ed, what are you still doing here? And I had the same exact answer every single time. I'm not planning a church. I'm not planning. I must have said that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times because God was showing me something. He was revealing something to me personally. He'll reveal to you the same thing he'll reveal to you, but in a different way. And that's simply this. God doesn't need any of us to accomplish his will, but he wants us. And he wants us broken and humble and as empty of ourselves as possible. We'll never be 100% empty of ourselves. But as much as possible, we're empty of ourselves and dependent upon the Lord. So that every time I'd walk around the corner, hey, Ed, what are you doing here? I'm not planning a church. And most of the times, oh, okay. You know, nobody, it's like, don't you know my life is falling apart? Nobody really noticed that because I was just serving the Lord. And I'm thankful for my pastor giving me that counsel. So, closed doors lead to open doors. Closed doors are the same from, uh, you know, I taught in that study, open doors and closed doors are both from the Lord. They're both from the Lord. And this is an open door. Leave and, and go out. And they do. And it's a glorious first few days they must have experienced where, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What's God going to do? And looking to move out on the promises of God, it's vital, guys, that you're sent out by God. Anything else is of our flesh. And how does God call? Well, there's two things. If you're taking notes, there's two things we notice. Uh, it's not exclusive. Like God does a lot more than this, but there's are two things that every call of God must include. Number one, the supernatural call of God. Along with a gifting, along with a desire, along with you know, fruit in your life, you have to have the supernatural call of God upon your life. It's not enough for me to say, I see it in you. You have to let God show you what I see in you. Because a lot of ministry starts that way. A pastor, a parent, a friend say, I see this in you. I see this gifting. I, I see this. And you're like, yeah, I think I do see that. And, and yet you can't rely upon me. Well, Pastor Ed said I have that. You have to have the supernatural call of God. It would be nice if it was this dramatic. You come to one of our afterglows and then the Holy Spirit speaks and it's thus saith the Lord, separate to me and then your name comes out and, and send them out. And then we're the leaders there. We hear that call and, and sometimes God won't give me the name but he'll give me a word and I'll share the word and when I share the word after the service I'll say, hey, if that was you, come up and talk to me because I don't know your name but, but we want to lay hands on you or pray for you. Uh, recently, when I was in California a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago or so, teaching at my home church, God gave me a very specific word for someone in that room. A woman uh, that was out partying the night before, uh, that she knows she shouldn't have been doing that. She knows that she, she I mean, it was very, very detailed. And, and it was at the end of a prayer, like it usually is at the end. I'm just like, I'm praying, and I'm like, oh man, somebody's in here. And I started sharing it, but I forgot to tell her, please come up after the service. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. I don't want you to be condemned. I missed all that part, unfortunately. And after the service, it struck me. And I'm like, it's not, it's not the fellowship that I oversee. So I couldn't just run up and push Jeff out, Pastor Jeff out of the way and say, hey, hey, you guys, I forgot, I forgot, like I do here, you know, I forgot, I forgot. And so I just go out, I walk out to the foyer, the way that they do that there. And that's where they greet people. And and there was a long line of people after the service. And guess who came up? The woman. So God covered my back before that. And so, so you see a little bit of that. It wasn't a sending out, but it was a releasing. 
God was releasing this woman from the bondage of sin in her life. She was, he was releasing this woman from the need to keep going and partying and keep going to, it was the dance club scene for her. It was the drunken scene for her. What she was delivered from, she came up and introduced herself, told me her name. I wrote it down. I, I forget it now, but I wrote it down. She was saying, I just got saved a couple months ago and I'm struggling with this. This is my life and here I am. And yes, just last night I was partying. I didn't think I could be at church. I was hungover on and on and on and I could just I put both my hands on her shoulders and and just prayed for her because God was doing a work you have to have the supernatural call of God not just a man not just a woman although that's sometimes where it begins God will put a leader in your life he'll notice giftings in your life I do that all the time I I'm one of the things that I pray for in in the ministry you can pray for it too you want to be the super effective as a minister of the gospel as a servant of the Lord here's what you need to develop a good keen sense of observation you know how some of you like people watching you maybe work at the airport or you like people watching that's a good skill to have in the ministry watch people but watch people in the spirit Watch them when they're doing well. Watch them when they're down. It'll give you so many open doors to serve them. Watch them how they serve. Watch them what mistakes they might make or what successes they might have. And then come alongside of them and say, you know, I see this in your life. You're always smiling. You're always, I I text somebody recently. I said, your countenance is always happy. Now I know the brother and he's not always happy, but his face And you know, a person where their countenance is always happy is a good greeter. Because you don't want like a messed up, jacked up person at the door going, hey, welcome to Calvary's. You know, he's like, I I can't even do it without smiling. But you know, you don't want somebody like that. You want somebody that's always smiling. Supernatural call of God. Number two, number two, in being sent out or in uh, knowing how God calls, number two, you need to set sail. You need to start taking the steps to confirm what God has said. And that timing is always different, so please don't misunderstand me where you come to our afterglow service and God gives you a word and then the next day you move to Thailand. That's not, that's not what, it doesn't mean day by day, but you need to set sail. Uh, that's why we have the tables downstairs. Those men and women down there praying about full-time missions are setting sail. We go, Ed, they haven't left yet. No, no, they're preparing to leave. They're testing the waters to leave. They're raising support to leave. They're going through warfare to leave. They're going through the doubts and the, they're, they're setting sail. But it's not enough to just sense the, the clear call of God, the supernatural call, but you need to be sent out and set your sails toward the Lord and let him move you. And it says, they arrived in Sol- Salamis and they preached the word. They went into the synagogue where the word would be most relatable. That's where they started. And then they took John, that that little reference in verse 5 is John Mark uh, that you'll know later on in Acts uh, chapter 17. There's a big argument between Paul and Barnabas over this guy, John Mark. But here he is being used to the Lord. But just a couple chapters, things, because John Mark abandons them and they get into it. But that's little stuff that you can read. If you want to read 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you can get the whole segment of this first missionary journey because that's what this is known. Now, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul. Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, and this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them. So go ahead and circle those words. Withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, circle the word Paul here, and you can write up next to it first, just write the number one. This is the first time his name is known as Paul in the book of Acts. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at him and said, Oh, you full of all deceit, all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? 
And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw all that had been done and being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's a lot packed in here, but in the remaining time I have, my, my timer stopped working, so I don't know how long I have. So just so you know, it's blank. I don't know how long you want to stay here, but the children's ministry wants to be out at 8.30. <laughs> don't miss what's going on here. Happy, happy, joyful. The Lord is in it. Let's get out of here. Let's partner. Take the young guy along. Let's go see what the world has for us. Let's check out what God wants to do. We're, ch- we, we're in tune with his mission. Uh, here we are. We were in the church in Antioch, and now God has sent us out. Run, 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 run. And as they're running, if you look closely, you'll see this all over the Bible. God is moving forward, and the devil is always pushing back. God is moving forward. The gospel is on wheels and the enemy of our souls is always pushing back. When it says in, let's see, they've gone through, they met the false prophet uh, who is the proconsul. Uh, they sought to hear Eliamus. Uh, where is the word? Oh, deceitly. It does, where does it say? Now when they've gone through the island of Paphos, found a certain sorcerer, or Jesus, Sergio, intelligent man, Paul Bar sought to hear it, but Elimus, the sorcerer, withstood them. That's the word I'm looking for. The word withstood, translated in some book and some translations, opposed, literally means to prevent or to actively resist. And that is the work of the enemy to try to prevent the gospel from moving forward and to actively resist. But you've got to understand how it works. It works by resisting the people. The messengers, then the message. He resists the messengers, and if he can't, if the messengers will not, you know, fall to that, then he tries to pervert. The devil does the message, and you get both of them here with Elimus. He does both, resisting Paul and Barnabas, and also messing with the message. And this guy was the town sorcerer. He was involved in astrology, the occult all sorts of black magic. And what made him dangerous is he also claimed to speak for God and mixed his astrology and his occultism and his paganism with some of the truths of the Bible, using Bible words, using words from the Torah. And it was a big mixture that can, when you mix things up, it can be very, very confusing. But ultimately, we know he was a liar, full of all deceit. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit filled Saul and told him in verse 10, you are full of all deceit, all fraud, and you're an enemy of all righteousness. You might just want to circle those words, all, all, all. He was completely lost and bankrupt, no matter what was coming out of his mouth. And he was standing in the way not of Paul and Barnabas primarily, but he was standing in the way of this man in verse 7, Sergius Paulus. That's, the, that's the, the one that God wants to reach in this city. The one. We often you know, get caught up in the hundreds and the thousands, but here's the one. And so you got Paul and Barnabas, John Mark going into the city, going into the area. There's the proconsul there, Sergius Paulus. And then in between them, is this liar, fraudster, an enemy of righteousness. Sergius was an intelligent man, an influential man, a leader, and he wanted intelligent answers. I think of, in our own world today, how important it is for us to study the scriptures. Not just in Bible study, as much of our Bible study is applicational Uh, Even as we do go through some heavier topics and and we spend some time developing doctrine for sure. But our world is filled with many, no matter what they're into, many intelligent people, well-educated people that are looking for intelligent, well-educated answers. 
Now, while we don't have to go to seminary for that, and we don't have to match year for year in our college education or our master's degree or our PhD, although if that's what you have, congratulations. It puts you on a plane where there's authority and credibility in your life. We just need to know the scriptures. We not only need to know the facts of the Bible, but we need to know why. Because that is what people are asking. It's, it's enough. I agree. You know, for us, we've come to that place of faith where it's enough for us to say, this is what the Bible says. But for many people, that's not enough. Not yet, at least. They're in the pre-steps of believing. They're in the pre-steps of accepting. So that you can't just come to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible, you know what they're going to say? Well, how can I trust the Bible? Can you answer that? Can you, can you, in a very simple way, answer that the Bible that you have in your hands that's translated into the English language is a true and exact representation of the original manuscripts that don't exist today? That the original manuscripts that, the, that everyone wrote on we don't have, but in between the manuscripts and the English Bible in your hand are thousands upon thousands of manuscripts? That when you put them all together, they all fit? Can you talk to someone about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the whole scroll of Isaiah that was found, word for word? Can, can you talk about, even if we had no manuscripts, zero, and never found the Dead Sea Scrolls, could you talk about the early church fathers, the first hundred years of the early church? If you took the messages that were taught by those pastors and leaders, that they quote the New Testament like 98 some point something percent of the time. You could build the Bible just from their quotations. Now, if you've been around long enough, I think I went into that in depth not too long ago uh, as a pastor here, but it's not enough just to go, just believe the Bible because there's intelligent people looking for intelligent answers and, and as intelligent as they might be, they're not even anywhere close to the intelligence of God. And there are answers for people's questions. The Bible, Peter actually says, be ready to give a defense. Now, and that doesn't mean to, you know, have to defend God. But the Bible says to be ready to be an apologist, to defend the hope that's within you with meekness and in fear or in gentleness. And Sergius is an intelligent man wanting intelligent answers. In the New Living Translation, jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says... Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Paul rebukes this sorcerer. And he rebukes him with much boldness. Those of you that have the gift of mercy, if, when you go through the seven gifts in Romans chapter 12, and you fall under the gift of mercy, you really don't like the way Saul handled this. Because he handles this sorcerer with no mercy. And at times, leaders in the body of Christ have to deal with things with no mercy. Why? Well, it's really the choice between are you going to protect Sergius or are you going to side with the sorcerer? That's why the Bible says to reject divisive people after the first and second admonition. Who will you side with? Will you side with the person sowing seeds of discord? Will you side with the person that is divisive? Or will you side with the person that has nothing to do with the whole situation? Like Sergius isn't even around here right now. And, and Paul, he deals with this with no mercy. And yet, that's not entirely true. Because God is always merciful. And even though Paul gives a very strong rebuke here, because I believe Paul has an exhortive gift in him. I think his primary ministry was teaching, but exhortation was coming through him all the time. And he's just telling it like it is. Uh, even though Paul might sound like he's, giving, he's treating this with no mercy, God is being merciful because... He's not dealing with Elimus right now like he did with Ananias and Sapphira and just wiping him out for one lie or one deceitful thing. He's given him a chance and he's given him a chance with this strong word. And I believe he's exercising, Paul is, the manifestation of the discerning of spirits 
or he's able to see this guy's not from God. He's not speaking for God. And it might sound a little harsh to you, but it's not. Paul's not upset in the flesh here. He's not being fleshly. He's not taking things into his own hands. He's speaking on behalf of God. You you are full of all deceit. It's obvious. You are full of all fraud. You're a fraudster. Not even real. And you're an enemy of all righteousness. And the rebuke shouldn't surprise us. Jesus was known to rebuke people all the time. And the greatest rebukes that came were these religious rulers, the Pharisees in particular, who thought they had all their doctrine and theology in order, but completely neglected the people. And there's a whole chapter in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, 24, somewhere in there, probably 23, where over and over again, gentle, meek, and mild Jesus is saying, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And isn't it Jesus in the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry goes into a worship service just like this at the temple and he overturning the money changers and the people that are ripping people off in, in his name? And what did he say? It's what God is doing in our midst, isn't it? He said, my house should be a house of prayer. My house should be a house of prayer. My life should be a house of prayer. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I need to be a man of prayer. Passionately, radically, continually. I need to be a man of prayer. I need to be a man of more prayer. I'm not speaking it to you. I'm just, I need to be praying more. I need to be seeking God a lot more especially in these last days. And Paul, he speaks strong to them. And in verse 12, after the rebuke, we're told in verse 12 that the proconsul believed. So that's good. Their first salvation on the mission field. The proconsul believed. And and now what was the mechanism? When he saw what had been done, now that's interesting, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The proconsul is saved, and two things are mentioned. What he saw and what he heard. He was amazed at what he saw and what he heard. Now, this is where the church at large can also find themselves at odds with one another. And and on one extreme of the church world today, there is that great emphasis upon signs and wonders and an, an activity and, and just the Holy Spirit's always referenced as loud and active and everybody is moving and things are moving and some even extreme, there's gold dust coming from the ceiling and, and just, just really incredible testimonies and, and, and all the way on that side. Just, it, it, that somebody would come and visit our church from a church like that they would say, and this has happened before, they would come up to me after a service and say, Pastor Ed, your church is dead. There is no Holy Spirit here at all. And I'd say, what? And then they'd begin to explain, you know, everybody's quiet, reading their Bibles, and that's not how I believe the Holy Spirit moves, they would say. And then there's the church on the other side of the extreme that says, we don't believe the Holy Spirit works like that today. We have the Bible now. And because we have the Bible, we have God's finished word. And yes, we know there's ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we really depend upon understanding and knowledge and theology and, and knowing the Bible and knowing the original languages. And, that, and, and we don't need the Holy Spirit. And so you got that extreme over here and you got that extreme over here. And, and this is where uh, we as a fellowship sometimes get, get you know, we go... They, um, somebody on that side might come into a service like this and say, you know, there's not enough Hebrew in your messages, Ed. You're not enough Greek in your messages. And people are never going to understand the Bible. You don't explain it more. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit can't work unless you define words for him. And, and you go on both sides. And, and this is where I'll get complaints on both sides because we just try to stay in the middle. Uh, we try to stay balanced where we believe the Holy Spirit moves. Uh, and if he wants to drop gold in my pocket any day of the week, go for it, Lord. I just, I, don't, I just don't see any biblical standing for that. Um, it, you know, to, to see the Holy Spirit move is, is it's, it's between you and the Lord because already, you know, God has spoken to you through his word. You know, hundreds of people are listening right now, thousands on the radio, and, and everybody's leaving with some specific word from God. 
that God had for you through the same text. That always trips me out. But then if somebody came and said, you know, this church isn't moving, there's no Holy Spirit, then I would say, you should have been here last week because last week you could have seen it with your own eyes. In a simple proclamation of the gospel, God drew all these people here and then we all just got them baptized and it was just the carpet's still not dry from that. How about that? The carpet's still not dry from all the baptisms that were going on. That, that's, the Lord can do that work. So it all depends on what you're looking at. And then, and then the theology part, look, I'm not against theology. I mean, everybody has a theology and we have to have a biblical theology. The study, theology just means the study of God. Um, but if you emphasize signs and wonders... Then, then you're going to have a, a church that is not rooted in the truth. But if you're going to emphasize, um, you know, super high-minded, smart theology, then you're going to miss out on the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do right in front of you with, remember Jesus? When he came on the scene, he told stories about flowers and trees. He touched sick kids and ministered to families hung out with sinners. You know, Jesus hung out with sinners. You, you realize he, he was among those that were lost so much that they accused him of being a drunk and a partier. He wasn't, but that's what they accused him of because of his association with people that were lost, his love. But he taught us by saying, look at the flowers. Okay, I see the flowers. Look how God takes care of them. I know, it's amazing. I have flowers that, you know, I have these ugly flowers that are weeds in my backyard. I never, I try to kill them and they keep coming up. And, and they're beautiful, but they're bad because they kill everything else. And, and God say, look at that. They come up, they get taken care of. You don't even take care of them, Ed, but they come up and they're beautiful. If God takes care of the flowers, don't you think he's going to take care of you? I mean, can we all understand that illustration? I can. Is God going to take care of the flowers? Yeah, I look at them right now. Uh, I, I, look at, I look at the things that are, you know, it's springtime. It's springtime, folks. Goodbye winter. It's springtime. The trees are budding. All the trees on the property are budding. We've got all these tulips coming back. We aren't doing anything to them. And they're coming up and they're going to be beautiful. And the Lord's reminding me, hey man, everything brown's going to turn green, Ed. Everything brown's going to turn green. I'm in a, you know, I, and, and for me, you know, that winter season... Uh, and it's not just a personal thing, but a winter season in my life, uh, I look forward to the winter seasons giving way to spring. New life, fresh outlook, new faith, great steps of faith. Man, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Just taking steps of faith, whatever God puts before me, just wanting to do what God wants me to do in the smaller things, in, in the things that God has for us. And, and so... Those two, those two um, ends of the spectrum, what happens? The proconsul believed, he saw what was done, but he was astonished at the teaching. What was the teaching? That man, uh, that God became man and died for him? That was the teaching. That a few hundred miles away, 60 miles, 70 miles away, there was a little church, not too many people there. The leaders got together. I mean, can you imagine the testimony? Where'd you guys come from? Well, check this out. We got, you know, Saul gives them his whole thing. I was on my way to Damascus, got knocked over. I hated everybody. God loved me, saved me. I was blind. Some dude came. I can see. And I dedicated my life. I was gone for three years all by myself. God discipled me. And, and then I end up in this church in Antioch. I meet this dude, Barnabas. We're there with the leaders. And God spoke, name me by name, sent me to you. That's why I'm here today. So let me tell you why I'm here. God became a man. Why? Because he loves you. The love of God started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and walking them through whatever he wanted to do through the Torah. Taking them all the way up to, to the crucifixion, to the burial of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection. Maybe there were tears in his eyes thinking about not just what God has done, but what God did for him. And he said, we were just in this little church and we were praying we're seeking God. We love him so much. And God spoke and he said, come over here and tell you. Well, did he name me by name? No, he didn't name you. I didn't even know where I was going, but here I am. But first we had to deal with that froster. He's a liar. Don't listen to him. You've trusted him too long. He's not God. He didn't die for you. He didn't rise again. But I know one who has. 
And he just begins to lay it all out for him. And it's the first convert right here. And I thought of this as I was reviewing my notes a little bit earlier, just putting it all together to think of, just for tonight, Dave Gordon. Dave Gordon, not too many years ago, was just sitting where you are, praying, seeking the Lord, raising his family, serving in missions, uh, taking care of praying for people and giving paperwork and getting things ready and teaching people how to be full-time. He was just doing that, discipling JJ. Uh, He was doing a lot more leading trips and on and on and on. But then the Lord put a burden in Thailand and he went to Thailand. But now he met this guy, Tyler. Now Tyler was already saved because God had Tyler there to come alongside and support him. But he didn't know Tyler. Tyler didn't send him an email, didn't say, come and, come and find me. Um, you know, I'm hiding in Bangkok somewhere, so come find me, and we can serve the Lord together. But Dave, he heard the call, prepared, got everything in order. He moved, met Tyler, and now they're serving together. He's discipling him as a pastor to either stay or go plant another church, and, and he's standing in the water marrying him to that gal, whoever she is. God bless her soul. Stories. Go get some stories, church. Get some stories in your neighborhood. Invite someone to resurrection services. That might be the biggest step of faith you take in your whole life up to this point is to take that card that you normally throw in the trash or put in the back of the chair or sit in the back of your Bible that never use, and this will be the biggest step of, your, of faith you ever take is to hand that to look someone in the eye and say, yes, I go to church, and there's a God that loves you, and, and just, come, just come to church with me. That's all I can say right now. Just come to church with me. That's enough. That's all I can say. Take this card. It's right there. I'm not even going with you. Just go. You know, whatever, whatever step you are. And, 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 and maybe it's praying for a country. Maybe it's praying for a mom or a dad. Maybe it's, and you fill in the blanks, but get some stories, church. Do something for the Lord. I'm not asking you to sign up in a ministry. I'm not asking you, oh, we have all these needs and our church will disappear. We, all these needs aren't filled. If all of our needs are not filled in this church, we just won't have those ministries. If, if, if it's just me leading worship and teaching the Bible, that's what we'll do. And you're like, no, it's not what we'll do. <laughs> right, because the Lord always provides. It's the Lord always provides. You may have come from a church or be familiar with a church where they're always begging for help. I'm not begging for help. Serve the Lord. Do something for him. Do it here. Do it there. Do it everywhere. But do something for the Lord with the gospel. The good news that your sins can be forgiven. And then probably we haven't done this in a long time. So we'll, we'll plan this. Next staff meeting, we'll plan this. We'll, we'll have a testimony night. We won't tell you which night it is because we don't want you skipping out that night. Because the Holy Spirit moves on those nights too. People come and they don't expect to get up here and share what God's doing in their life. But we're going we're gonna to spring it on you sometime soon. And, and so, okay, how about this? Is there somebody here that has a testimony already right now that wants to come and share it right now? The first person that stands up can come up and share a testimony. So come on up. Um, I don't have any microphone for you. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll make this alive. So here, I'm going to give you a little instruction on testimony. Testimonies are about the Lord and the work of the Lord that he's done in your life. Uh, testimonies have everything to do with uh, the, what, what God has done, and testimonies have very little to do with us, okay? So what's your name? Alora. Yes. All right, you have, you have three minutes. Oh, that's a long time. All right, well, if you can do it less, then this is Alora, everybody, taking a step of faith. Uh, so first of all, I was saved last Wednesday, and I didn't know. <laughs> I just came in. <laughs> and I am so happy to be a part of this church. I've been listening on the radio for over a year, actually, and uh, one day I was actually flipping through the stations just listening to anything. And this is what I heard. So I stuck with it. And I have gotten to the point where I don't even really like the radio anymore. Um, but my journey really began when I was a security guard in a mental hospital. 
and they really didn't want me to read the Bible, and it was kind of upsetting for me, but that's okay. Um, I met a man, his name is Craig, and uh, one day he just, he just said, the Lord wanted me to tell you that whatever you're going through, he just wants you to get closer to him, and that's, that's all I have to say, and it turned into a very long, long conversation, and a week later, he bought me a Bible, and he engraved my name on it. And I started reading, and then I notice I fall off sometimes, and then I realize, oh, that's why my life is going crazy right now, because I fell off, and I need to read my Bible. And then um, I've been going through a lot in my marriage, and uh, some, some really, really hard things have recently been revealed to me that have been revealed for a couple of years, but the Lord at the beginning of the year told me, something's going to happen, something's up, something's going to be shown to you, and... I just waited, and it all came out. It all came blubbering out in the last three months, and I've never felt better. I feel so relieved and so happy. And, and then I got saved on Wednesday, and I couldn't be more happy. <laughs> here, stay here. Okay, so. Boy, that was a good job for a first-time uh, surprise. And uh, straight to the point. So thank God for the Craigs, huh? You're the Craig. So we're going to, this is how we're going to end our service. We're going to worship by praying for her, okay? So we're going to pray for her like a missionary. We're going to, if you want, you can put your hands out. We're going to pray for her marriage. We're going to pray for her as a new believer because the resistance has already happened. Uh, And the Bible says this. So this is something you're witnessing. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years or, or seven days, eight days, here's the deal. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and... The word of the testimony. So there's power in what you did tonight. Spiritual power. All right. So God, we just pray for this young lady and the work that you're doing in her life. We pray for the overpowering uh, love that you have for her. We pray, God, that in in her life, that this would be the first step as nervous or as uh, difficult or as um, whatever it might be, whatever emotion she's feeling, um, that you would give her victory, uh, not only by her testimony, but by the blood of the Lamb. And may she encourage us and stir us, Lord, in our walks to not be lazy, to not be lethargic, to not be complacent, to not go backwards, but to take what's given to us, the promised land, to go in and fight like a man and fight like a woman for that which belongs to you, Lord, that which you have given to us, that our kids and our marriages and our city and people that are still yet to be saved that are working in mental hospitals and working in in, uh, 7-Elevens and and who knows where, Lord, but please stir up a, a wave of love and passion that we might minister to you and you might speak to us and we would obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.